the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Alrighty then, good morning. Thanks for joining us. We are underway now at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on a Wednesday. It is the 19th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Good show lined up for you today. Some very, very important guests coming up here in less than uh, 10 minutes, maybe five minutes from now. We're going to talk with the newest candidate for United States Senate to hopefully replace Sherrod Brown. Um the longtime far-left Ohio senator who has let us down so many different times in so many different ways with so many horrific votes. Bernie Marino is going to be joining us in the first segment. We don't do this often, but we wanted to get Bernie in when we could get him in, and he's available, so he's going to join us here in about five, like five minutes, I guess I would say. <clears throat> so Bernie Marino will join us at 9.15. Coming up at 9.35, we're going to talk with the president of the FOP Lodge in Akron, Clay Cozart. Clay Cozart wants to respond to some of the, well, let's just call them what they are, asinine things being said by the media, by attorneys, and by reverends, that's right, men of the cloth, in response to the 
uh, non-indictment of eight Akron police officers in the death of Jalen Walker. We have a lot of information on that story that we're going to cover today, and I'm going to ask Clay Cozart all about it. He is uh, very, very upset. Uh, he's upset for his officers. He's upset for the city of Akron, and uh, with with uh, with with all of the right reasons, for all of the right reasons, rather. And then at 10 o'clock this morning, 1010 to be more precise, it's a special bonus for you. It's a Kersenau day. Peter Kersenau was unable to be with us yesterday, so Peter will join us this morning, and we will talk about all of these things. So Bernie Marino coming up here in just a few minutes. Uh, Clay Cozart coming up at the bottom of the hour at 935, and Pete Kersenau coming up at 1010. And without any further ado, before we dive into all of the news of the day and these wonderful conversations that we have, these important conversations, let's go ahead and start our day with our pledge. Patriots, would you please rise? Face your flag. Put your hand on your heart. Join us for this pledge. If you are a believer in Joe Biden's advice that you should just shoot blindly through a door with a shotgun to get somebody off your porch, and then condemn the shooting of somebody through a door and invite the shooting victim to your home, if you believe in any of that nonsense from the Biden administration, well, then this flag might not be exactly what you uh, want to pledge your allegiance to. You may, instead of rising, uh, take a knee next to your favorite unemployed quarterback. We'll follow up on that in a moment, but first, let's say our pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, so again, Bernie Marino coming up here in just a couple. We'll let you know when he is here. But just to uh, kind of lay this out for you, uh, to, to let you know what I'm talking about, this is one of the more astounding things that you're going to see. We'll get to the Jalen Walker one. We have more time at the bottom of the hour. But just to hit this one, this is a terrible story, a terrible story coming out of Kansas City. Make no mistake about it. Um, a young 16-year-old boy went to the wrong house, rang the doorbell. It was a, supposedly a friend, somebody who was trying to, uh, you know, whose house he was trying to go to. He went to the wrong house. An 85-year-old man, no idea who the uh, door ringer is, uh, panics, shoots through the door, and actually does not kill. Thank goodness. Thank goodness, 16-year-old Ralph Jarl. Uh, hit him, kind of grazed his head and his arm. He was released from the hospital shortly thereafter. Uh, but he's being charged with uh, attempted second-degree manslaughter, I guess is what it is. At any rate, it's a terrible story. And the racial component of it is is terrible as well because the 85-year-old man is white and Ralph Yarl, the 16-year-old, is black. So naturally the narrative immediately became this is what happens in racist America. Old white men, scared of the uh, frightening, terrifying black boy, uh, shoots him through a door. It ought to be noted, it ought to be noted, and I have no idea whether or not this particular old 85-year-old man was a fan of or a supporter of Joe Biden's or not. But it ought to be noted that all he did was follow the advice of the President of the United States. You do recall, do you not, that back in 2013 when he was Vice President Joe Biden, Joe Biden in an interview on guns and gun control, trying to tell people they don't need ARs and they don't need uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, semi-automatic weapons and so forth, did declare that, quote, if you want to keep someone away from your house, just fire the shotgun through the door. 
end quote. Through the door. Just, just you know, whatever's on the other side of it, doesn't matter. Just blast away. That's the best way to protect yourself. This is what the President of the United States today, Vice President of the United States then, said about how to handle threats against your home. Now, it should go without saying that Joe Biden is is an imbecile, and that is some of the most reckless handling of firearms that you can even imagine, firing blind through a door. Um, No one who is a firearms expert, no one who's ever even thought of picking up a gun would do that. You don't know what's on the other side. But that's what he advised, and that's what happened in this case. So immediately the race card comes out, and this young man, again, this is a terrible situation. Uh, the old man who did this uh, did a terrible thing. Um, Joe Biden, for advising people to do this, did a terrible thing. But then the race card is played because Ralph Yarl, a 16-year-old, was black. And the mayor of Kansas City said that clearly Ralph Yar was simply shot because he was existing while black. That needs to be weighed and balanced against the other side of the story. Uh, or not the story, another story. Um, a 20-year-old woman named Kaylin Gillis had an almost identical experience. She didn't make it to the door even, though. A 20-year-old woman in upstate New York was in a car that turned into the wrong driveway. Again, looking for a house, finding the wrong one, turned into the wrong driveway, and the homeowner fired from the home and killed 20-year-old Kaylin Gillis, who was in the passenger seat of that car. Two shots fired from the owner of the home, Kevin Monahan, and one of them struck and killed this 20-year-old. Now, Ralph Yarl, the one in Kansas City, is being has been invited to the White House to meet with the uh, president about this terrible, terrible thing about getting shot for going to the wrong house and being black. No one from the Gillis family is being invited to the White House to discuss their suffering because she was shot for going to the wrong house, apparently while being white. And that one just doesn't count the same. So, so many different elements to this. We have so much to talk about regarding the Second Amendment today. Meanwhile, the, uh, the ATF director, alcohol, uh, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms director, um, Steve Dettelbach, the former U.S. attorney here in Cleveland, chosen by Biden to lead ATF, and, and, and the F stands for firearms, doesn't know what firearms do. We've got video and audio. Obviously, you'll get the audio part on the radio, but we've got that for you to talk about just a bit as well. It's 918. We're waiting for Bernie Moreno. Um, I'm going to take for, uh, how about that? I was about to take a break until we get him on the line because I want to make sure we have as much time with him as possible. But now I am told Bernie Moreno is, uh, with us. Uh, Bernie Moreno now going after it for a second time. This time against not, or, uh, rather, trying to unseat an incumbent rather than replace an outgoing Senator Rob Portman. This time he's coming for Sherrod Brown. He has announced he is in the race for United States Senate. And he joins us now at AM 1420, The Answer. Bernie, good morning. Good to talk to you. How are you, sir? I am great. Thanks for having me, Bob. I really appreciate it. Well, congratulations on the announcement. Uh, I, I think a lot of people who know you have been expecting this for some time now, that this was something that uh, uh, you were considering. Tell me why it is that you decided to have another bite at the apple here after uh, stepping aside during the primary season um, in, the, uh, in the race to replace the retiring Rob Portman. Why are we going after this again? Well, two reasons. Number one, 
all of the things that worried me about this country's direction have only gotten worse. But they haven't gotten better. Uh, in fact, uh, at a rate that's almost hard to keep track of. Secondly, I've come to the conclusion that the problem isn't just the Republican, uh, Democrat or Republican problem. It's that both parties send the same kinds of people to D.C. These are people, all they care about is their next election, their next race, their next donor, their next fundraiser. They care about their own personal careers and absolutely do not give a crap about the middle class in this country. Don't care about public policy. It's just about them and their elections. You know, that's um, that's an interesting point. And, and I think there is some blame to be uh, levied at both parties. I think that's fair. Both parties have, have, have done some things uh, that are not necessarily in the best interest of the uh, of the American people. And, uh, and you have identified some very specific priorities that you want to focus on if you are indeed uh, elected to the United States Senate. Fifteen of them, as I look at your webpage, and the very first one are the people that maybe have not been well served by too many politicians, maybe on both sides of the aisle, and those are the parents. Tell us more about that. Well, the reality is, you know, we pay a lot of taxes. We, we you know, yesterday was National Republicans Day. Because that was the day we pay taxes, and people convert to being Republicans on on tax day. And what do we get for that? We expect safer cities. We expect better schools. We expect to build better military, better infrastructure. We've got none of that. And with schools, we're sending our kids to be indoctrinated, uh, to to be divided, the way you just described with the shootings that you just mentioned, uh, instead of being educated. We, you know, we we compete on a global stage. We compete with China and Europe and uh, Asia. And what are we teaching our kids? That there's something wrong with them because of the color of their skin. And this is this is fundamentally wrong, and we need to change that. We need to put power, uh, power back in the hands of parents in our schools. Your, your 15 priorities, and I'm just going to read a couple of them for people, and I want you to tell me how you came up with this specifically. Number two, because you go from parents, which is obviously very specific, family-oriented, education-oriented, and domestic, down to number two, which is secure America's borders, stopping amnesty and destroying Mexican drug cartels. Then you go down to beat communist China. Then you go down to empowering local law enforcement to ensure safe communities. So you're touching on in these 15 priorities, and all the way down to uh, number 14, end wokeness and cancel culture. You're touching on a a little bit of everything. Uh, Bernie, it's obviously ambitious to think that you can address all of those things as a United States Senator, but uh, so are they prioritized 1 through 15 in that order? In other words, if you get in, these will be the specific things that you want to do in that order because, again, the idea of doing all of them might be a little bit, a little bit much. Well, if we don't do those 15 things, we're not going to get our country back. We'll be in a situation where we'll lose our country. Not, not, not for me and you, Bob. You know, you know that. We'll be fine. It's about what kind of country do we leave our kids and our grandkids. And it's all those things that have to get done. And it can happen. If we have the right people to go to Washington, D.C. to actually serve their country and not serve themselves and put the interests of America first, we can get those 15 things done. And they're all critical. All critically important. And thanks to Joe Biden, the list keeps growing because he is taking this country in such a deep, dark direction with the enabler, Sherrod Brown, that uh, if we don't address these things, uh, America will be unrecognizable in 10 years. 
We're talking to Bernie Moreno. Bernie was a candidate in a very crowded Republican field for the uh, Senate seat that was being vacated by Rob Portman. Now he has announced he is running for Sherrod Brown's seat. He is up for re-election, and Sherrod Brown is going nowhere. Um, before I ask you about Sherrod Brown, tell everybody your incredible American success story. I mean, you're born in Columbia. You come here without you know a silver spoon of any kind. You literally made the American dream happen for yourself, becoming a, an extraordinarily successful entrepreneur and business owner. Tell everybody how you did it. Well, you know, when I got the, I always wanted to be in the car business. I went to school there, went to work for corporate America, realized it wasn't for me. On a fluke, I had a job running a car dealership when I was 26, worked my butt off, helped that person grow from six dealerships to 55. And then 18 years ago, I sold every possession I owned in my life, leveraged myself to the hilt. I mean, when I tell you, I, I think my shoes had mortgages. Uh, Bought a small little dealership in North Olmsted, sold four cars a month, turned into one of the largest seller of luxury automobiles anywhere in the central United States, added 14 other dealerships for a total of 15, had thousands of employees. We did about a billion dollars in sales and uh, sold that business. And that, that story, Bob, is only possible in America. There's no other place on earth where you can do something like that. And there's certainly no country on earth which a kid born in Colombia that comes to America can even dream about becoming a United States Senator. You know, in Japan, do you think if you sent a, a kid, uh, American kid to Japan, that they'd all of a sudden be able to be uh, in their legislature? That would never happen. You know, this is a great, great, amazing country, and it's up to all of us to keep it that way, honor it, and cherish it. And that's what I want to fight for. I want to make sure that American dream exists for everybody. What Sherrod Brown wants is a very different view of America, one that is broken, one that we're fundamentally flawed. Once in a view of America in which we can't govern ourselves, we need somebody else to tell us how to live our lives. And that's not this country. I'm going to fight like heck for it. Bernie, um, let's talk more about Sherrod Brown and the challenge before you. Um, if you are able to win the Republican nomination and, and challenge him. Ohio's been a red state. Ohio's voted for a Republican governor for the last four gubernatorial elections. They swept the, uh, the, all of the uh, state uh, state uh, seats, uh, state uh, uh, executive seats, from Attorney General to Secretary of State, you know, conservative on the Supreme Court, Ohio Supreme Court, super majorities in the, in the legislature and in, in the General Assembly. And yet here's Sherrod Brown. In the middle of all of that, this very far-left, almost Marxist character has been in office. It'll be 18 years uh, by the time 2024 rolls around. Um, how does he continue to survive in what is a more ever-evolving conservative state? Well, it just let me just point out, it's also 12 years before that in the U.S. Congress and twenty almost 20 years before that in state government. So quite literally almost 50 years, his entire adult life living off of a government paycheck. So that's... That's where he stands. The reason is, is simple. Uh, he's literally married to the media. The media will cover for him at every turn. They don't report his incredibly bad record for Ohio. Uh, they hide uh, his record. They shield him. He's very coy. He pretends to be one thing in Ohio. He votes very differently in D.C. He is with the most radical agenda in Washington, D.C. He's up there with Elizabeth Warren, Diane Feinstein, Chuck Schumer, he is just, there's not more liberal than them. But it's about exposing his record, and that's how we'll win. 
So before you get there, I mentioned if you are able to be the uh, uh, the winner in the Republican primary, it was a very crowded field last time. I don't know if it's going to be as crowded this time. I do know Matt Dolan has announced. There is speculation that Secretary of State Frank Loboros is going to get into this. Maybe some members of Congress as well wanting to uh, to go to the upper chamber. So how do you feel about your chances in uh, the Republican primary, Bernie? Well, I think this is where uh, we go wrong uh, as Republicans. You know, we we uh, we have a very, very simple choice in the Republican primary right now. Do you want an America first conservative outsider or do you want a professional politician that's a little bit Democrat light? Uh, those are your choices. Uh, and some people may choose that uh, want a professional politician insider. That's fine. They'll vote for him. If they want an outsider America first candidate, they'll vote for me. When you have others that enter the race, especially those who just won a very consequential role and have a four-year term ahead of them to do some important work, those people jumping in a race makes the race very messy and very expensive, and that's what the media wants, and that's what the Democrats want. So my hope is that as Republicans, we rally around uh, just I mean, two candidates. We have a, a clean primary about ideas, which ideas are the best for the American people and for Ohio, and then we use uh, our resources to take out a very difficult incumbent, which is uh, Sherrod Brown, because he'll have Hollywood money, he'll have Wall Street money, he'll have Soros money, uh, he'll have the unions, he'll have the media. It's not going to be easy. No, no question about it. That's why he's been there again for three terms now, and he's looking for a fourth. So uh, he is very well funded. It'll come from outside Ohio, and I know you're going to run an inside Ohio campaign. Uh, you need your help. You're going to need help, though. You can't self-fund your entire campaign, or maybe you can, but uh, you don't want to have to do that. You want support at the grassroots level. I know that. Tell people how they can support you. Yeah, you know, Bob. Let me just say real quickly: when Democrats get mad, they go online and donate money to their candidate of choice. When Republicans get mad, they go and rant on Facebook. I appreciate that, but it's not helpful. They need to go on BernieMarino.com, donate $5, $10, $25, whatever can be done. We need to build a grassroots movement. I don't think it's good for democracy for wealthy people to write a big check to become a U.S. senator. We're not the House of Lords, so we need to make that happen. Sorry about that. That was your website. I clicked on it, <laughs> and uh, it came out with, came <laughs> no out with problem, music. No I didn't expect the yeah, music but that's to what we gotta do. Listen. I, I'm not going to write a check to become a U.S. senator. I will obviously invest money uh, to make this happen, but I need grassroots support. So please go on BernieMoreno.com. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Bernie Moreno. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for coming on. That's Bernie Moreno. And, yeah, when you uh, when you click on Bernie Moreno's website, you're going to hear the music, too, just like five, I did there. My family came here legally in Colombia because my parents believed in the American dream. And that's, uh, that's a great story, his American dream story, no question about it. Watch the rest of that video by going on BernieMoreno.com. And as he said, if you are interested in supporting an America First outsider, uh, political outsider candidate in this race, uh, that he is your guy. And uh, the donation page is right there at BernieMoreno.com. Okay, we took this all the way to news, as I kind of expected we would. We'll take a time out for that. Then we're going to come back, and we're going down ba- uh, back down to Akron. Clay Cozart is the FOP president of the Akron uh, FOP Lodge, and he's got some thoughts that he wants you to hear about, things you need to know uh, before anybody uh, feels like they understand truly the Jalen Walker situation down there. So that's coming up on Always Right Radio. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. 
Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 937, Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. We've been covering all week uh, the decision by a grand jury in Akron not to, uh, in Summit County, not to indict any of the eight Akron police officers who were involved in the death of Jalen Walker after Walker uh, led police on a chase fired guns uh, fired a gun at him rather then took off on foot before stopping and turning around and pretending to pull a gun uh, at which point he was fired up upon by eight Akron police officers this was one of the more memorable moments of the uh, press conference that was held after the decision not to indict was made there wouldn't be no justice in Akron no peace in Akron Ohio there would be no peace in Summit County there would be no peace in the state of Ohio there would be no peace in America until black men are able to walk down the street without being gunned down. Until black men are able to walk, wake up and walk outside without the fear of being murdered by state-sanctioned violence. We will not rest. I am not here to condone violence. But I am saying that you have a right to be righteously indignant from these results today. That is Reverend Ray Green, who was one of those invited to speak at that press conference after the family attorney for Jalen Walker, uh, Bobby DiCello, who essentially mocked police and their fear uh, from being fired at, uh, either now or in the future, after the death threats that have been made against them and their family. Joining me now to react to all of this is the president of the FOP Lodge in Akron, Clay Cozart, who's got some uh, important things that he wants to share. Clay, thank you for joining me this morning. How are you, sir? Great, Bob. Thanks for having me on. And uh, that's actually a great way to start. And you mentioned it earlier in your show, uh, the Reverend Ray Green, I call him fake pastors and false prophets. Not only did he, uh, did he say that, he also later on, or maybe before that clip, called on gang members to uh, take arms and join their cause. Uh, he, he threatened suburbs, we're coming after you, Green Township, Bath Township. Uh, you talk about uninformed uh uh, or that's what we have down here in Akron. We have a lot of uh, uh, politicians who uh, are, we have a, a, a mayor, Shamus Malik, that's uh, running for mayor based on this incident last summer. Uh, and, and all they do is they've been spewing false narratives for a year. And, uh, and when we have an independent investigation um, that looked into this for eight months, they found no illegal activity by these police officers and do you think any of those people at that press conference which was which was an, a, a, an abomination do you think any of those people at that press conference read the investigation so that's what i tell people read the investigation and the ag said it best when you read the investigation you'll come to no other conclusion that these officers uh, uh handled themselves within the law there are laws that uh, garner that uh, that uh, that these officers learn and they uh, train Tennessee versus Garner, Graham versus Connor, State versus Ohio. Have any of those people at that press conference read those court cases, those Supreme Court cases that uh, these officers uh, are trained to know? And you know they make a big deal about very few officers getting indicted because officers are trained every day on this stuff, every day. They don't. They know they before they go out to those streets. They have to know what laws they must abide by, and they are trained. And it's their training and experience that they rely on. 
And that's why few officers are indicted. Not because there's some state-sponsored uh, racist agenda against uh, a black man walking down the street. That's just pathetic to, it, to even say that. We have people down here wanting to uh, that talk about we need trust between the police and the community. Well, you can't, you can't be out there asking for trust while you're sowing the seeds of mistrust. And all for political reasons. Nothing yeah, but political no there's a political yeah there's a political element to this clay uh let me uh, we're talking to clay cozard he's the fop uh, lodge president in uh, akron and uh we're responding to some of the things that have been alleged by the media by the family attorneys for um uh for jalen walker and others um part of part of the investigation which is not getting enough play in my view and i talked about this on my show yesterday and i want everybody to hear this and understand this this young man jalen walker i don't think was some sort of a, a dangerous criminal uh, for his entire life anyway this was a man who was distraught according to what was reported his fiance was killed in a terrible car crash less than one month before this took place he had since that time googled how to end his own life in a couple of different ways what happens when you drink bleach what are the quickest ways to die and then uh his uh, best friend interviewed for a job in euclid and the captain at, at the euclid department told uh, uh or was told by the best friend that jalen had asked him how to get police to shoot him uh you know bringing about the very real possibility if not almost you know probability that this was suicide by cop and for for the story to be told the way that it is without that information, Clay uh, is. Um, I, I just think it's um, it's it's neglectful of the responsibility of the media. Absolutely, and also the responsibility of our political leader. Uh, sometimes to be a, a leader, you have to tell people what they don't want to hear. And I know a lot of people are reacting on emotion, but this is not something you can react to on emotion. You have to look at the at the facts, and and, and that's a very important point. I know that they asked, was suicide by cop uh, the cause of this? And, and you've got to listen closely. The, the, uh, the prosecutor said there was no direct evidence. That, that's, that's a term in, in, in a courtroom, direct evidence. That's like uh, the guy was holding the gun. That's direct evidence. But there's indirect evidence, some of which you just, uh, you just explained. There's indirect evidence to state that this was suicide by cop, which is a phenomenon. And, you know, that's why the FOP, you know, a lot of times you'll see an FOP president uh, come out and, and uh, badmouth uh, the, the suspect or perpetrator because they just got out of prison or they have a long criminal record. That wasn't the case here. That's why we waited for uh, the investigation to conclude, because that was the responsible thing to do. And, yes, he was going through a life crisis. But, listen, his life crisis became a life crisis for eight officers and their families who are terrified, and, and the entire APD and the entire city of Akron. And for people to take advantage of this for their own personal gain is, is quite frankly, just uh, unspeakable. And, and just, it's just a shame. And, 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 and listen, politicians have a, a, a way low favorability. Cops are way, way high on the favorability if you ask anybody, politicians are at the bottom of the barrel, and this is and this is why. And for any media to get to amplify somebody like a like a Ray Green, who calls himself uh, his organization Freedom Block, I call it the Freedom Blockers. And then we have another organization that I hate to even say it, but 
and they it served the people Akron who are nothing but left wing uh, uh, communists and um, anarchists. Uh, you know, I call them serve the poop because that's all they do, and they and they flood our city council week after week after week in these co- public comment periods, and and these and and we have the gall of some of these council people to let. We're listening to the citizens of Akron. Those aren't the citizens of Akron. That's not, that is not uh, the prevailing uh, 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 opinion of, of everyday Akronites. Everyday Akronites have called me and said, we want to come down and, and, and give a little speech on how we support you, but we're afraid of those people who are, it's like a mob down there every week, and our city council and our politicians down here placate to this group that comes down and causes chaos. We're talking to Clay Cozart, the uh, FOP president for the Lodge in Akron. Uh, I want to play. You talked about emotion before, and people react emotionally because the family is distraught, and the family should be distraught. I said yesterday, my heart goes out to them because they are going through a trauma now that nobody should have to go through. Uh, but the you know focus of their blame needs to be redirected to where it was. They want the p- cops who uh, basically granted Jalen Walker's request to shoot them uh, to go to prison for doing so, and now they want. There was this civil lawsuit announced by Bobby DiCello, the taxpayers of Akron to pay them for what their son oh, chose located. to do. I, I want to play this um, this clip of some of the officers who were involved in that shooting, and and let's talk about emotion for a second. He slows down, uh, turns around, and pulls his hand from his waistband quickly in the motion that you would if you're drawing a firearm. I then raise my firearm in the shoot. I then walk away and have uh, another officer. That was there checking me, make sure I wasn't shot because I couldn't even feel anything. I didn't know if I was hurt or not. No charges, not unusual in cases like this. Since 2019, the State Bureau of Criminal Investigations has handled more than 200 police use of force incidents, deadly and non-fatal. Only five officers have been indicted. Okay, we'll stop it there. That was uh, audio uh, courtesy of Fox 8 News. So, Clay, um, you heard one of the officers talking about exactly he didn't even know if he was hit because uh, of the adrenaline that was rushing through him, which one can only imagine. Can you try to describe, and I know a couple of the other officers were actually tearful as they described the fear that they were experiencing as they were being shot at from the car. Can you try to describe what it was like for those guys? Well, Bob, I, you know, representing those officers, I sat there with them as they were being interviewed by uh, the BCI special agent uh, and their FOP attorney. And most of these officers uh, that were involved with this have two, two and a half years on. I think the most had maybe had five or six. And uh, it was so emotional that, you know, I had to, I, I'm an emotional guy too, and I, I just had to, uh, clench my fist so that I didn't react while they were speaking because it was so emotional. They didn't ask to uh, be put in this situation. They were forced in this situation by the actions of one man. And I I am so proud of these eight officers to have to go through this. When I had two and a half, our training today has never been better. And I, and I just look, I think back when I was two and a half years into the job, uh, our training you know, wasn't as good as it was today. Not that the, it was bad, but things have improved. And I just think to myself, would I have been able to go through that? These officers were able to 
uh, articulate why they acted based on their experience, based on their training, and um, and I just I don't think I could have done that. And and to be put in that situation, and, and remember, each one of these eight officers were reacting to what they were seeing, and you can only judge an officer uh, at the moment that they make that decision. And each one made the same decision independently. And you get into these situations, you have tunnel vision. You don't even know what the guy next to you uh, is doing. Uh, you only, you're focused on what's in front of you, what you're observing, and, uh, and uh, how you've been trained. And, and then you react based on your own perceptions. And try, a lot try, of times explain, officers try, have... Try. Try to explain if you could. I apologize. I want to get this in because it's important. A lot of what I hear of the criticism of the officers, even if they felt like the officers were justified in shooting because, A, they had been shot at, and then, B, his action reaching for a waistband instead of putting his hands in the air with the officers not knowing the guy that already shot at them, if he had that gun in the waistband, they didn't know that he had left it in the car, obviously. But many people, even if they say they were justified in shooting, they question the 90-plus shots. They freak out over the total. He was hit 40-some times. Uh, and then uh, after uh, you know he was on the ground, and, and one would imagine with 40, 40 strikes, probably very clearly and observantly dead, uh, why they handcuffed him. They, some people felt like that was just disrespect. Um, can you speak to the number of shots and to, the, and to what happened you know, after he fell? Yes, again, so uh, you know, Supreme Court ruling... Uh, uh, garner what how you're out allowed to react and if you uh, feel as if your life is in danger or the life of others you are allowed to respond with deadly force it doesn't matter and, and you got to remember the all of these shots were within less than seven seconds uh it's not difficult to empty a mag and if you're that fearful you're going to continue to shoot until you feel uh that the threat has been neutralized, and many times the human reactionary um, process uh, is not as quick as your semi-automatic. And so once your mind decides, okay, I can stop shooting, uh, it takes a while for that to get down to your uh, trigger finger. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... I can, and remember, there's eight officers that are firing, so there, there were a lot of shots. And as far as the handcuffing is concerned, that's the way we're, we're taught. I think that might be something that, you know, when we look at uh, maybe, um, uh, because you never know. Uh, but in this case, remember, it's a very traumatic thing for these officers. So they're, they're falling back on what they've been trained to do. They're in tunnel vision. They're falling back, and the training says to uh, handcuff the prisoner just in case uh but maybe that's something that, that we look at that maybe uh we don't always have to handcuff maybe that's something that will evolve from this but uh, as far as uh, the entire uh, uh tragic incident uh, that's really the only thing that i see that maybe we can improve we're always trying to improve we look at cops are their their worst critics we look at each other's videos all the time and criticize you should have did this you should have done that. we do that all the time and so if, if there may be one thing that we can maybe take out of this, maybe that's something that we can uh, maybe look toward. Maybe you don't necessarily have to handcuff that 
person if right. they're obviously incapacitated. Yeah, and I can understand the reason why the training would be that way. If somebody was hit, say, once or twice and was down and was still moving, and there was a question as to maybe whether that person laying on the ground could still reach down into a pocket or a waistband and pull, pull a weapon when the officers approach after he's down, I can totally see why they want to, want to go ahead and cuff him to make sure that nothing can, can happen there. But like I said, when we're talking about the overwhelming number of, of, uh, uh, you know, of shots fired and, and those that found their mark, uh, you, you can understand why some people are like, why they need to cuff him. It just made it look, it made it look uh, like disrespectful. Last thing for you. Um, since you said, you know, the department is always looking to get better. And I believe every bit of that, um, with, with having said that, Amelia Sykes doesn't think you're doing a good enough job of it. She's going to ask the DOJ to inspect every aspect of the Akron Police Department and find out how you operate and how these kinds of things can happen. I find that to be asinine, and I find that to be just uh, embarrassing, quite frankly, on her part, but I want to get your thoughts. Well, and it's also lack of knowledge. It's also uh, another example of a leader that sometimes you have to tell your constituents what they don't want to hear because that's the truth. And the truth of the matter is that the Akron Police Department has a great reputation across the state and the country. Uh, a few years back, when this all started, um, when this police reform started way before even the episode in Minnesota, uh, the, uh, the state of Ohio started what they call an Ohio Collaborative. And in order to be able to uh, say that you were a part of that, you had to go through all your uh, procedures, all your uh, rules and regulations, and you had to conform to what they felt at that time, which was only five years ago, five, six years ago, with, with our, uh, our, our uh, previous chief, Ken Thal. Uh, we went through all of that. We changed it. We were one of the first uh, police departments in Ohio to belong to the Ohio Collaborative. If you ask any politician, they probably wouldn't even know what you were talking about when you asked them about the Ohio Collaborative. And, uh, uh, you know, when they first started uh, criticizing police, over that uh, incident in Minnesota, uh, uh, the George Floyd incident, uh, our chief went to city council and said, listen, we've been doing this, and you're not paying attention. You don't know what we're doing, but something happens in Minnesota, and you want to criticize the Akron Police Department and not even know that we've been going through this process the last couple of years, and they were so mad at him, they uh, he was forced to retire early. And, and now we have what we have now. So... Amelia Sykes has no idea what, what's going on. She's just a politician, and uh, she's, she's going to – I hear she's going to run for the mayor of Akron in four years. They're placating to emotion, and I think these politicians don't understand that, that the majority of uh, Akronites do not believe these officers did anything wrong, and she will pay a price. Uh, she thinks she's going to win this political – game that she's playing but she will pay a price well and you know, and, and, and uh, it's going to hurt her yeah, for the majority of people you're saying in Akron, or the overwhelming majority, I believe that uh, the good people down there, there's no question, I say down there because I'm up in Cleveland, uh, it, there's really good people in Akron and Summit County, and I think uh, you know the grand jury that was seated uh, proves that. Um, because for people who don't know the grand jury process, I've talked about this before, there's nobody there defending the officers. There's nobody there giving testimony explaining what they did. It is only a prosecutor presenting potential evidence that could be used to try and convict them. That's all the um, uh, the grand jurors here. I know because I served on a grand jury uh, as a foreman for an entire uh, three-month period. 
Um, and uh, if if uh, if there's evidence that could even possibly get a conviction, that grand jury is going to come back with an indictment. And they knew there was no possible way because there's nothing that they did that was wrong. So I just want people to understand that. And I know the people down there in Summit County get it. Uh, let's just hope that um, there's peace uh, in the streets so that there is nothing. Yes, the grand jury is the ultimate police oversight, uh, more than any kind of a police oversight by uh, appointed people, by the politicians. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a diverse grand jury down here that uh, voted not to indict these officers. Yeah. Extremely important for people to know that. Clay Cozart, FOP Lodge President in Akron, uh, thank you for, very much for coming on. Thank you for telling the other side of the story that the media will not tell. We'll continue to give you that forum as well. If you've got anything new to update the people with, you let us know. We'll bring you back. Will do, Bob. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. It's 9.58. We'll take a time out for news. Then it's cursing out time on AM 1420 The You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Always right indeed. And yes, you can use both meanings and they will both be accurate. Welcome. Ten minutes after 10 o'clock and hour number two is underway. It is a Wednesday, the 19th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. we got a special treat for you. We normally don't have these days on Wednesdays, but we do today because of his schedule. Our good friend Peter Kirstenau was unable to join us on his regular Tuesday time slot, so he joins us now to make Wednesday a Kirstenau day. How about that? Oh, Peter Kirstenau, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. The fans love you, my friend. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks very much. We're excited to have you aboard, as always. Okay, Pete, um, I want to dive into uh, um, a whole host of issues. Almost all of them are involving violence. And I hate to say that, but that's the reality of the situation. We're going to start not with the Jalen Walker situation I've been talking about for three days now, and I will talk more about that with you in a few. But I want to talk about youth violence, and I want to talk about some of the more disturbing images and uh, the footage, if you will, that I have seen uh, in some time. Uh, of youth gangs, and I don't mean like actual Bloods and Crypt gangs, although maybe that's a part of it, but meaning massive crowds of youths um, running wild uh, in American cities, including Chicago, which we saw over a, a two-night period this past weekend, and in Los Angeles, more specifically in Compton, uh, where... Uh, just scores of youths just smashed windows, broke into buildings and stores and shops, looted them, and went on their way. This wasn't in the midst of riding over a national calamity or a story like the George Floyd thing did in 2020. This was just, I don't know, because it's Friday. Or in Chicago, because it's Friday and Saturday. Peter, why are the youth of, you know, this, this Gen Z population, why are they so out of control not that there wasn't violence in the 60s with the, you know, the younger generation, you know, the, the flower children and so forth that were supposed to be about peace, but led to clashes with, with authority figures. But, you know, it has happened in previous generations, but I don't know that I've seen anything, at least in my moderately young lifetime, anything quite like what we're seeing right now. 
Well, this is not rocket science, and I think all of your listeners probably discern the reasons. We have a rotten culture right now, and it starts with the family. We have abandoned the precepts that have kept our country relatively sane for most of its existence, and we've attacked the institutions that have kept it sane. The principal in such institution is the nuclear family, and um, I don't know this, but I'm willing to bet that when you see the videos in Chicago and L.A. and elsewhere, Philadelphia goes on and on, that if you were to find out how many of those kids have two parents in the home, I would say the percentage is probably no more than 10 to 20 percent. And I'd be, in fact, I'd be kind of stunned if uh, it was even as much as 20 percent. This is, again, this is part of human nature. Everybody in the audience knows that when a father was at home, and I I remember one time I got brought home by the cops, okay? (laughs) Not a sterling moment. I was 13 years old. I was more afraid of what my father would do to me than the cops. In fact, I begged the cops to drop me off before they took me to my house. (laughs) Now, I was engaged in any kind of, you know, huge criminal activity. But um, the, the sanctions imposed by my father were far more dramatic than anything the state could do to me. And not that the state was going to do anything to me, but there was a culture, and it wasn't just your own family and making sure you had a father, but it was the rest of the uh, neighborhood and the community that almost every adult had the right to discipline a child, or to not discipline physically, but to tell them, how to behave, and no compunction about it. Now we've got almost a lawless society. It's, it's kind of like uh, you know, Lord of the Flies territory at this point, and it derives from a number of places. Our culture has rotted away. A lot of it comes from our schools, which have abandoned any kind of semblance of trying to impose a civilizational structure. They think somehow, well, it's not their... Uh, responsibility or that it is somehow racist. And I'm going to go on a detour for just a a moment again with respect to racism. We have been instilling in the brains of youth who have been nothing but pampered and privileged for the last 50 years minimum that the United States is a racist society and every difference between blacks and whites and Hispanics, every disadvantage that blacks might have is the result of racism and not the result of personal responsibility and endeavor. In very few cases is it the result of racism. In fact, I'm of an age that I know that over the last 40 to 50 years, almost every institution, and I know the left hates to hear this, but I've been on the Civil Rights Commission. I don't even have to have been on the Civil Rights Commission for as long as I've been in looking at all the data. Common sense and living tells you this. Virtually every institutional privilege afforded on the basis of race has gone in one direction. It's been blacks, Hispanics, and I'll tell you who's discriminated against. Asians, most dramatically, and whites slightly behind Asians in terms of who's been discriminated against. But we have been following this narrative for political imperative of the Democratic Party and the left, generally. That racism is abroad in the land, that it is horrible, that lynchings are occurring all the time, that people are being unnecessarily incarcerated. We have an under-incarceration problem in this country. We have The, the, the stats show that 80% of crimes are com- committed by anywhere between 1% to 2% of criminals, not of the general population, but of the 100% of, of, of the entire criminal body, 1% to 2% of those criminals commit the most crimes. Yet what we have is because of defund the police and the decarceration movement on the part of the Democrats, you know, the, the bail reform movement and other such movements that, will, that uh, result in lax enforcement, the 
Braggs of the world, the, the uh, Larry Krasners of the world, and, the and don't forget, don't, of the world. don't Pete, don't forget criminal justice reform at the federal level, which was pushed and enacted by President Trump. Just, yeah, as, and just I as culpable that. as as anybody else you're talking about right now. Yeah, um, I communicated with them, and also there were some senators um, that I had a, a big row with because of that. Um, in fact, Senator Sessions, who at the time Attorney General Sessions, was one of the people who was against all of that. And it was plain on its face. Common sense said this kind of decarceration, criminal justice reform, is an, an, an We tried something like this a couple of times before, and every time it was a debacle, but we never learn. Human nature is what it is. Human nature is such that, you know, you're not going to get a bunch of angels, and if you don't have sanctions applied, the people who are not angels are going to act the way we expect them to act. I hate to say things like that, but it's abundantly true. We need more cops, more law enforcement. We don't need the Alvin Braggs of the world to let people who've just taken a hatchet, literally, a hatchet to people in a McDonald's and let them out immediately, but go after people who spit on the sidewalk. Um, again, not rocket science, but we've got to get back to uh, some form of sanity and enforce the law. And in, in this case, we've, we've got to enforce it fairly strictly. We can't abide by things such as this, and we've got to tell our schools, no more lunacy, okay? No well, more this Peter, ridiculous obsession with racism. Peter, let, let's, let's, let's hit that a little harder there about the culpability of this and, and enforcing the law, because... Uh, for example, since Chicago was one of the, the uh, stories we just talked about from this weekend, the new mayor of Chicago three years ago when he was not mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson, and I don't know if he was an alderman or what it was, but he was uh, asked to speak on the Chicago portion of the nationwide BLM Antifa riots of 2020, the George Floyd riots. And rather than condemning that violence and the looting and everything else that went on, he said, let these people be. They're hungry. Oops, hold on one second. Yeah, here's what he said. They, that's how they can eat? The real answer is, how do we make sure, the question is, how do we make sure that people can eat? Look, no one is going to condone, um, you know, behavior that, that, quite frankly, speaks to a level of desperation. So you're not, you're not condoning not, looting? I'm saying that people are acting out of desperation. We don't want a society that is acting out of desperation, but you have to pay attention to the cries that people have. By so you're, you're not that, condoning looting? Th th there's no way to, to, to embrace that. What I'm saying is you can't condone the looting that corporations continue to do every single day when they take tax dollars from black, brown, white folks all over the city of Chicago. So there's the answer. Yes, he condoned looting. And and just to bring it current now, Pete, in response to the violence of uh, Friday and Saturday in Chicago by the swarms of uh, of uh, uh, teenagers and, and young people, Gen Zers, if you will, his response was, um, let me find the exact quote here. His response was, it is unacceptable and there is no place in our city. However, it is not constructive to demonize youth who have otherwise been starved of opportunities in their own communities. So, Pete, if this is the leadership in America's cities, particularly America's largest cities, America's most violent cities, like Chicago is one of them, and they're saying we're not blaming those who are committing the acts, clearly they're just asking for this to continue, are they not? They are, and they continue to, to deflect. He says that they're desperate and they're hungry. I didn't see anybody stealing cheeseburgers, Bob, did you? 
No. Um, you know, out in L.A., they were crashing into a ver- no variety bread, of nor stores. bologna, or nor you know things yeah. that they need to take home to the family and then because I the family. I hate to point out the uh, yeah, and I hate to point out the obvious, and I don't want to be unnecessarily harsh, but I see a lot of people there who could lose twenty, thirty, fifty pounds. Frankly, in those videos, there's nobody there who was doing it because they were hungry. It's not happening. Sorry, and people need to say just that. It may be harsh, but what's harsher? Somebody getting knocked over the head by one of these thugs or saying, hey, you did wrong, and by the way, stop doing this and lose a little bit of weight while you're at it, okay? Do somebody a favor here. Um, These politicians are horrible, but what happened is we had Lori Lightfoot, and what did Chicago do? They bring in this clown as mayor. You, You know, I'm at a loss at this point, and I think Many Americans are at a loss because Peter, no Peter, matter where quick, you go. Peter, real quick, since you brought her up, Lori Lightfoot was better on this response than Brandon Johnson, the, the deposed the point. mayor. She said, more, most importantly, parents and guardians must know where their children are and be responsible for their actions. Instilling the important values of respect for people and property must begin at home. It's like, uh, that can't be her, but it was. She said that. Yeah, and, you know, it's uh, remarkable that she would say that when she's out of office, but where was she when she was in office, and it really right. meant something. Right. You know, the, 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 the other problem of all of this is because many of these politicians believe that they've got to spout this nonsense to appease their benefactors and their supporters, such as teachers' unions. We have a real rot in this country. It's getting worse it's not simply confined to the Chicago's and the L.A.'s. We have a lot of folks out here who think that this, that the bounty that the United States has afforded, that America has afforded to Americans generally, is limitless and will continue in perpetuity and doesn't require constant cultivation. We think that nothing will ever happen, that God shed his, license, his grace on us, and that that will never depart. But it requires the constant protection and cultivation of all of those things that made the country great. And we're not doing that right now. We're spitting on those things, and this is the result. And I will say something. I, I'm generally a, an incredible optimist. Um, I am, I've gotten very pessimistic over the last few years. This is not something that's going to be turned around in, you know, just a year or two years, maybe not even 10 years. It's not going to be something that, you know, if a Donald Trump comes in and he's being, you know, or, or DeSantis, doesn't matter who it is, but I'm referring to Trump because, you know, he's a guy who will take the reins and doesn't care what anybody thinks and will try to turn things around. But it's not up to one man anymore. The rot is so deep, so broad, it's going to require a concerted effort by so many freedom-loving Americans, Americans who understood what America was in the past and reject the lies, the, the, the simple falsehoods that are being told broadly by the media, which is one of our biggest enemies. It's not simply just progressives doing this. The media is utterly corrupt, and I would say that there's a lot of folks in, in the United States, no fault of their own. When you're in the United States of America, you should have the right to kind of check out, not be involved in things, not be constantly concerned about politics. That's the beauty of America. Our founding fathers had set up a system that requires constant cultivation, but you don't have to be engaged 24-7. That's no longer the case. We've got to be engaged. The left never sleeps. We can't sleep. No question about it. Peter, Chris, now we're going to use this as a, a break time. We're going to come back. 
We have a lot more uh, violence discussions to, to be held, including what happens when people knock on the wrong doors or pull into the wrong driveways and get shot for it. What does that mean? We'll talk about uh, that with Kirsten on next on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, Peter Kirsten now continues with us on AM 1420. The answer, very short segment here, Pete, so I'll try to keep the question short as well. A young man by the name of Ralph Yarl in Kansas City, just a 16-year-old boy, uh, was going to visit somebody. Don't know the specifics of that yet, uh, but he found the wrong house, and he rang the doorbell, not once, but twice. After the second one, he got shot. An 85-year-old man, apparently afraid of whoever it was was coming to his door, shot through the door, hit him in the arm, and hit him in the head, but apparently must have been a graze because he was shortly released from the hospital. He is on his way to the White House now, and there's a reason why. He's black, and the shooter was white. Therefore, it was racist, and the shooter uh, is, uh, is being charged accordingly, and the young man is on his way to visit Joe Biden. At the same time this happened, or roughly anyway, um, in... Um, uh, in uh, upstate New York, a 20-year-old woman named Kaylin Gillis was shot and killed because she and her friends turned into, in a very similar situation, the wrong driveway. Wrong house. They were going to try to find a house. They went. They turned into the wrong driveway, and the homeowner shot from the home and killed her. She was in the passenger seat. Her family is not going to the White House. She's white. So can you make anything out of that, Peter? Yeah, uh, what we can make out of it is that uh, Joe Biden and much of the Democratic Party are despicable opportunists using race to divide Americans when there's no evidence whatsoever that race had to do with had to do anything to do with what happened. Tragic circumstance, 85 year old man. What's interesting is we don't have enough evidence as to what transpired. We really don't. We don't even know that the 85-year-old man had any clue that the person on the other side of the door was black, white, green, and space sailing. We have no idea. What we do know is this, that our elected leaders have failed in their duties so badly that crime has gotten to such a point where people are afraid to come out of their homes. And elderly people especially are cowering in their homes in certain neighborhoods. That's the real problem, or at least one of the real problems. What we have to do is, I was about to use a a scatological term, is forget the politicians, the media, and all these rabble-rousers Recognize who we are as Americans. Our fellow Americans are generally good people and don't allow these opportunists to divide us on the basis of race or any other immutable characteristic. This is getting ridiculous. Americans on their own would not do this. We had a very short period of time after, shortly after the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. We had a short period of time where people really were, as Martin Luther King enjoined us to, judging people by the content of their character rather than color of the skin. Unfortunately, that was a very short period, and then it went wildly off tracks. And right now, racism is abroad in the land, but it comes from the left. Very, very, very uh, true, and very well said, Peter Kirsten. We'll continue right after this. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always right radio with Bob Frantz and the answer. Hey, 1037. We continue now with Peter Kersenow, who joins us on a Wednesday episode. <clears throat> Peter, I want to stay on the uh, gun subject for a moment here. The two terrible, terrible, terrible 
shootings, one in uh, 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 where was uh, Kansas City, uh, in which the young 16-year-old was shot for ringing the wrong doorbell by a terrified 85-year-old man, who, of course, is being uh, called a racist now. He was scared by a black boy. But uh, I want to point out something here. He shot through the door, and we don't know if he knew, as you pointed out, who was even on the other side of the door. He was scared that somebody was at his door. Apparently, that's a rarity, and somebody uh, rang his bell not once but twice. But if we really want to, uh, uh, you know, examine this thoroughly, Pete, we have to ask ourselves whether or not he was just following the advice and the direction given by Joe Biden, who in who in 2013. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yes, yes, yeah. I remember that. 2013, well, you know, as vice president, he yeah. said in an interview that was published, "quote If you want to keep someone away from your house, just fire the shotgun through the door." Literally, what he said is what this guy did. I don't know if it wasn't a shotgun, probably, but uh, but he did exactly. You know, and I bring this up, Peter, because I want you to respond to that part first. But also, I'm going to tie it to here's a guy who clearly has no idea what firearm safety is all about. No one in a position of authority or really anywhere should be advising people to shoot blindly through a door, not knowing what's on the other side. But that's what Joe Biden said, and maybe that's why he felt so comfortable picking. The new director of uh, of ATF, uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, Steve Dettelbach, the former U.S. attorney here in Cleveland, who once voted for a ban on assault weapons, but cannot define an assault weapon as evidenced by a hearing yesterday. Listen to this yeah. one. Uh, of many different types and a 20-year military veteran, I have some expertise in weaponry uh, and self-defense weapons. What could you, in 15 seconds, would you define an assault weapon for me? So, so if as, you go after that 15 seconds, I'll just interrupt you. Yeah, so, so, so I'll go shorter than that because I, I honestly, I do think that's a, if Congress wishes to take that up, I think Congress would have to do the work. But we would be there to provide technical assistance. I, unlike you, I'm not a firearms expert to the same extent as you may be, but we have people at ATF who can talk about uh, uh, velocity of firearms, what damage different kinds of firearms cause, so that whatever determination you, you chose to make would be an informed one. So the man in charge of ATF doesn't understand the F. Maybe he's an expert on alcohol and tobacco. I don't know. But he doesn't know anything about the F part of ATF. He doesn't know what an assault weapon is that he once, by the way, voted to ban. Take it, Pete. Well, you know, this is, um, first of all, let me just say that I want to be very, very fair, quote-unquote, on this. And that is that somebody who is in a particular position isn't necessarily charged with knowing all the nuances of a position and can delegate to people below him. All of that is true. However, having said that, what we see in the Biden administration is a consistent theme. That is, competency is irrelevant. Ideology is supreme. If you adhere to the ideology of the left as defined by whoever it is that's running the Biden administration, then you can get whatever position you want. You can be on the Supreme Court without even knowing what a woman is. You could be uh, the FAA administrator not knowing the first thing about planes or airports or landing strips or anything else. You could be the White House spokesperson without even being able to put together two coherent sentences. You know, it goes on and on. Or you could be a guy who's in charge of disposal of nuclear um, uh, material 
and can go around stealing women's uh, suitcases. I mean, it does not matter. you got all these folks from Millie to Buttigieg who have no clue how to perform the essential functions of their job, but they adhere to the leftist ideology. Now, I don't know if Del Delbach adheres to any leftist ideology necessarily, uh, my, the strong presumption is, because he's in the Biden administration, he does. But what this does reveal is, on a number of occasions, we've had senators, congressmen ask um, nominees for various positions just the most basic aspects of the job. We're not asking them about technical details, you know, um, with respect to particular firearms. There's so many firearms. For example, I, you know, your audience probably has their own favorites. My favorites are SIGs and Glocks. Okay, I don't have any rifles or anything like that, and I couldn't tell you the first thing about, about rifles because I don't shoot them. I don't go hunting. I'm sorry I, to disappoint people. But nonetheless, what's striking about this is I'd say at least 70% of Americans have at least a marginal familiarity with firearms, but the ATF um, chief does not. That's that's striking. The same is true with the energy secretary, well, with per, the transportation secretary. Particularly because in, in his former position, he voted to ban assault weapons. Yeah, How can you cast a vote to for. ban something if you don't have a fundamental understanding of what it is? But it doesn't matter if he knows what it is. Joe Biden says ban assault weapons. Steve Delabach voted to, uh, to, to ban assault weapons, so therefore that's my ATF guy. Does he know yeah. what an assault weapon is? No, he doesn't. Because yeah. there is no functional definition for that, by the way. That's the reason why. Um, they call anything that's a rifle that's semi-automatic that holds a, it has a high-capacity magazine a, 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 an assault weapon. But there is no term for it, and this guy voted to ban it anyway. And that's what makes this so astounding. Being led by a president, as we just pointed out, who knows so little about firearms that he publicly advised people to shoot through closed doors. Right. Ideology prevails over proficiency. It does not matter. You don't have to have proficient, uh, proficiency in whatever field of endeavor you're charged with overseeing. It doesn't matter. I mean, it, and it, you could look at almost every cabinet secretary, and that applies. Now, that's not necessarily peculiar to the Biden administration. There are other administrations who've had people who are incompetent at their jobs, but it seems to be endemic. It seems to be almost, you know, a, a requirement to the Biden administration that you know nothing about the actual job you're supposed to do, but make sure that you show fealty to leftist ideology. Bingo. That's that's exactly right. Uh, okay, Peter, let's uh, let's get local now uh, and go down to Summit County. I've spent the last three days talking extensively about the Jalen Walker case. I don't want to repeat myself and uh, bore the audience with the obvious facts that I know. And that have, uh, that were turned up, that were presented by Attorney General Dave Yost when they gave the press conference announcing the non-indictment of the eight police officers who shot Jalen Walker. So I'm just going to ask you your thoughts on it, and uh, if you need me to fill in any gaps, let me know. What bothers me, uh, first of all, it's horrible. You don't want to see anything like that happening. It was tragic, you know, and there's no doubt about that. You feel for the family. But here we are again. What we have here is, among other things, I don't mean to pigeonhole this, and again, it's a tragedy that we have a young man who is dead. However, um, there are certain takeaways from this that have absolutely nothing to do with the prevailing narrative. And by the way, the media, as usual, is irresponsible and despicable, because any time they see anything to do with white officers and uh, black suspects, race is all there is. That's all you have to know. And you and I, Bob, have gone through the statistics. Heather McDonald and I have done it on Tucker's show with respect to, you know, the true statistics when it comes to black crime and uh, 
interaction with cops. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, I'm sorry to disappoint people who want to adhere to a preferred narrative. Fact of the matter is, blacks are actually significantly underrepresented in police shootings relative to police, to, I'm sorry, relative to black involvement in the kind of crimes that would necessar- necessarily result in police shootings. That is a fact irreducible can't can't argue that and it's by a significant margin and one of the reasons and that's not the only reason one of the reasons is cops are petrified about pulling out their service revolver when they're facing a black suspect because they know this is going to be the end result okay so and and cops generally are you know they they they're not trigger happy the vast majority of them are very responsible and sober when it comes to this Every one of your audience knows cops. Yeah, there's going to be some bad cops. They're bad engineers, bad doctors, bad lawyers. When it's a bad cop and he makes a mistake or does something wrong, it's pretty horrific, okay, as opposed to, say, a, um, uh, somebody who makes a mistake if they're a grocery clerk. But uh, no disrespect to gro- grocery clerks. But here again, we've, we're forcing this within the prism of race. It's Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, George Floyd. It always has to follow that narrative. The media are a bunch of race baiters. They're acting in despicable fashion, and we should reject that. Um, the, the facts, as I understood them, and I, you know, I haven't looked at in detail any, you know, I mean, we can't look at the grand jury testimony, but from what I understand, the available reporting, which has not been uh, at all, denied is that this individual young man shot at the cops once something like that happens you better expect only bad things are going to happen for the next couple yeah, he, of minutes he, he did and that. it's on video it's on video yeah, from another I police mean, car from another I mean, uh, department let's face it I, I i wish the young man was alive but when you start shooting at cops what do you expect is going to happen it's not good. They're not going to throw well, a party it's, it's, for it's, you. it's highly likely, Peter, that what, what happened, what he expected to happen was what he wanted to happen. This is a young man who was suicidal. This is a young man who Googled. Uh, they, they, this is part of the presentation, the, the evidence that they announced, that he Googled in the days leading up to this, uh, what happens when you drink bleach and what are the quickest ways to kill yourself. Yeah. Uh, then the, the Euclid police uh, captain said that one of Walker's best friends applied for a job there and told him that Walker asked him, how do I get police to shoot me? Uh, yeah, you know, he yeah, was probably he was suicide. A good chance it was suicide by cop, which is yeah. not unknown. We've got stats at the Civil Rights Commission about that, and you know, it's a real thing. Um, it is. And re- regardless of the motivation, I mean, even if he wasn't trying to do that, because I mean, if you look at the entire scenario, he shot the cops, then he comes out, he runs, he doesn't obey orders, and he turns around in an aggressive fashion at night, and all eight <laughs> cops took the same action. It's not as if one was too grappy. All eight came to the same conclusion: that is, that use of deadly force was merited because they were at risk they've just been shot at so the, the the look this is horrible he's a young man it looks like it may have been suicide by cop who knows what it was but the fact of the matter is when you shoot at cops after that bad things are likely to happen and i don't see any evidence whatsoever that this has anything to do with race can't we just simply mourn the fact that with a dead young man horrible circumstances without interjecting race into it and Royally, well, wait, 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 wait. Clearly, clearly you uh, haven't talked with Reverend Ray Green yet, have you, Peter Kirsten? Uh Because Reverend no Ray Green ha- has this to say uh, in response to what you just said. There wouldn't be no justice in Akron, no peace in Akron, Ohio. There would be no peace in Summit County. There would be no peace in the state of Ohio. There would be no peace in America until black men are able to walk down the street without being gunned down. 
until black men are able to walk, wake up and walk outside without the fear of being murdered by state-sanctioned violence. We will not rest. I am not here to condone violence, but I am saying that you have a right to be righteously indignant from these results today. So apparently, um, uh, a young black male driving his car with no particular place to go, observed by officers, driving kind of in circles without a taillight or a a light on his license plate, um, waiting to be pulled over, then leading police on a chase, then firing the gun back at the police while being while being chased, then getting out of the moving car and running, and then turning and squaring off with police while reaching for the waistband before being shot. Apparently that, according to Ray Green, is a black man walking down the street and getting murdered. Well, we should ask him what would happen if the uh, victim was white. What if he had done all those same things? Is he trying to tell us that there would have been something different? No. There wouldn't have been something different. If cops had been shot at by a white, green, purple guy, they would have reacted in the same fashion. They had just been shot. They're engaged in a pursuit. Man turns in an aggressive fashion, appears as if he's reaching to his, into his waist to pull out a gun, maybe fire at them, and all eight felt under threat. Horrible circumstance. Wish it didn't happen. We all do. We wish it didn't happen. But once someone discharges a weapon, things will go down here hill inevitably, and this should not be a surprise. But what's despicable is the interjection of race into it, because that inflames the circumstances. It divides Americans. It provides the corrupt press a vehicle by which they can perpetuate their narrative and try to sell newspapers or hits or commercial time and america is being horribly divided as a result i've been around for a long time and i can't recall uh well put this way in the last 40 years at least as i mentioned before there was a period of time when it appeared as if race relations was getting markedly better in fact there's polling results of this you look at gallup and i don't have it in front of me but gallup does a yearly poll with respect to the state of race relations how people perceive race based on their own race and uh back before the Obama administration, it was something like 70 or so percent of both blacks and whites perceived race relations as good or very good. And here, in just the last 12 years or so, it has plummeted to about 20 to 30 percent. Again, I don't have the exact percentages in front of me, but it plummeted significantly with nothing other than this racial narrative being perpetuated as a definable cause for that plunge. On a day-to-day basis, people dealing with members of the other race very often don't even think or or think about race or see race. But the press, our politicians, various institutions, they see currency out of being able to perpetuate the whole notion that, number one, America is a horrible place, number two, it's irretrievably racist. And they're continuing to do damage to a society. So is it probable that when a black suspect is shot by cops, that there's going to be violence as a result? Yes, because unfortunately, a significant cohort of Americans believe that blacks are being gunned down by cops at a significantly disproportionate rate, rate when that is an utter lie. It is exactly that, and it's a provable lie, simply by all of the federal statistics that you cite, that Heather cites, and so many others do, and I try to offer here whenever I get the opportunity. Peter Kirsten, how terrific analysis as always, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate you, and we will talk to you again on Tuesday. It's a sunny day in Cleveland, Bob. Enjoy it.
Thank you, Pete. 10.53, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back. Now we have time for calls. We've been busy with guests all morning long. We talked with Bernie Marino, uh, now a Senate candidate. We talked with uh, Clay Cozart, FOP uh, uh, Lodge president down in Akron, about this case. And then, of course, Peter Kersenow. Anything you missed, you can get online at uh, whkradio.com on the podcast page after the show. Uh, but now we are guest-free for the third hour. So this is the time, 216-901-0945 on Always Right Radio. Right back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Fred on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway at 10 minutes after 11 o'clock. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks again to my tremendous guests. We really did have a lot of uh, important people to talk to today. If you missed the program earlier on, we spoke with a uh, uh, new Senate candidate for the second time, Bernie Marino. Uh, he's got a very, very, very strong plan. Look at his website, BerniMarino.com. He's got a 15-point plan or 15 um, focal points that he wants to uh, uh, to address if he's able to be successful and get into the United States Senate. I really enjoyed that conversation. We talked with uh, Clay Cozart, the FOP Lodge uh, president in Akron, about the Unbelievable comments made by the uh, attorneys representing Jalen Walker's family and by reverends, supposed men of peace, calling for violent uh, retaliation until, quote, black men can walk down the street without being murdered by state-sponsored police. Uh, Simply reprehensible. Literally calling out for assistance even from gang members. Uh, Then saying, board it all up as much as you want, but we're coming. That, to me, sounds like a direct threat on the city of Akron. But that's what happened. Uh, and uh, great conversation, of course, with Peter now on those things and much more. So if you missed any of it, check out whkradio.com. And now this is your time at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers brings you here, and we'll do that uh, presently. We'll go to Chuck, who's calling from Cleveland first. Chuck, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away, good sir. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, An Chuck. assault weapon... Is could be a screwdriver, a hammer, a gun, <laughs> yeah. any anything that is used with the attempt or uh, the intent of assaulting another human being. Yeah. Now, my question to you, Bob, 
Is the government going to come and take my screwdriver, my hammer? <laughs> well, I've said this a few times, my man, and I'm glad you brought it up. You know, here's a great uh, 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 analogy for that, if you will, or an example of that. And thanks for the call. Um, <clears throat> people have shared this, so I'm not breaking any new ground here. But, um, you know, when Cain killed Abel, he used a rock. And you know what God didn't do? God didn't blame the rock. God didn't remove rocks from the reach of his people because they're assault rocks. God blamed Cain, and that's the way it ought to be. Uh, you blame the shooter, you blame the stabber, you blame the, the assaulter, whatever the case might be, not the weapon that they choose to use. Very well said, my friend. Screwdrivers or otherwise. Uh, two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Linda is calling us from Medina on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, Linda. Good morning. Go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. Um, I thank you for taking my call, and I Sorry. love what you're doing with the Take Back Our Children meeting on April thirtieth. I, I hope that. Oh, we'll get it's a not lot what I'm doing. I'm just I'm just the messenger. You give all the credit. Or I'll I know, give all the credit to PJTN uh, and Lori Cardoza yeah. Moore and Jim Renacy and all of those who are responsible for this. It's a uh, very important right. work. I agree with you. Right, but we need the mess- the person getting the info out, and you're doing that. Yes, ma'am. Which is in, sort of along that line, the reason I'm calling today. I'm concerned about the upcoming Senate race, mm-hmm. and I just feel like Republicans use the primary as a sport to see who can win the primary, and then we go down to defeat in the general. And I just feel like this is a long game, and we need a candidate that can defeat Sherrod Brown, and I'd like to pitch out Peter Kirsten out. Ah, <laughs> well, you're yeah. not the first. Yeah, you're not the first to suggest that. And he right. has heard he has heard from people uh, saying the same thing. And he's he, he has never you know, he's one of these guys who who says, I'll never say never. But no, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. in, in other words, there's a tiny scintilla of a chance that he might be persuadable to doing something yeah. like that if he really felt like it was the best interest of the country. But uh, but he said, really, no, he's the he's not one who wants to run for elected office. He's doing a tremendous job to, you know, service to this country and the Civil Rights Commission as it is. Um, so, you know, I, I don't disagree, by the way. But here's the thing. Peter Kersenow is very well known to you and to me in Northeast Ohio. Um, would he have a broad enough appeal in central Ohio, in southern Ohio? In other words, Franklin County, you know, out, uh, out east in Youngstown, out west in, uh, in up northwest in, in, in Toledo and Lucas County, down in south in Hamilton County. And, you know, are, are they as familiar with him? Because name recognition is a huge, huge part of winning a race like this, particularly if you're going to unseat somebody like, like Sherrod Brown, whose name recognition is, you know, echoes throughout the entire state. Right. Can I so, give you a list of why I think Peter would be good? Yeah, fire away. See if you can convince okay. him. Maybe he's still listening to us right now in his office. Okay, Tell him why. I hope he <laughs> is. <laughs> because at the top of the list, as I was listening today when he was talking with you, I realized that he called out, and this is the, where we are the most vulnerable and where um, conservatives get it, that our freedoms that we've enjoyed are at risk. And we have to pay attention and get involved and not just elect another candidate, not just elect another R. And uh, Peter is bold in calling that out, and he is the candidate that can speak specifically and effectively about all the trigger points of voters, and he can take the race card off the table. And notice in his discourse, the focus is on the issues and not on Peter. He's not looking to put Senator on his resume. 
And I think he would, um, he is at a level playing field in recognition with some of the other candidates and his command of the language and ability to debate Sherrod Brown is supreme. So we need to win that seat. I believe he's the candidate that can bring home the win. And I hope your listeners will encourage him to run. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, it, it would take a lot of encouragement. Your list is very, very, very good. And I agree with you. He would destroy Sherrod Brown on the issues. He would make it about the issues and not himself, as you pointed out. I think he'd be great on a, on a debate stage, uh, provided there was no mm-hmm. clock, though, because Pete likes to talk. He likes to explain. He, for them to ding the bell at 60, he might be in the middle of his first point. But um, but well. you know, but it's it's just a matter of how best can I serve? People like Peter, I think, you look things that look at things that way. Um, how best can I serve? He really is a person who wants to help. He wants to help the country. He wants to help the population. He wants to help everybody. And in 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 his mind, he would have to be convinced that going through a campaign and serving for six years, committing the next six years of his life to that, um, would be a better service than working on the Civil Rights Commission the way that he does. And I just don't know mm-hmm. if he feels that way. Um, you know, I mean, it would no. be a it would be a tough it would be a tough ask for him to do this. Um, but I agree with you. I would love to see it. I mean, and and by the way, that's not to say I don't like Bernie Moreno or anybody else that might enter this race. Wouldn't be good uh, a good person, uh, you know, and a candidate to run against Sherrod Brown. But if Peter Kirshenau would enter that race, I think it would be a very very interesting thing indeed. It would it would be a good good race. And so I thank you for having him on. Um, I want to let people know. In the area, if you want to come hear him again, he's going to be at McFan on uh, May thirteenth. Yeah, well, there come it is. Hear him again. He's a regular. And yeah, go he's up a regular. To him, there. Shake his hand and say, "Hey, Pete, we want you to run." Yeah, no question, no question. I mean, and, you know, that's the way to do it too. If he hears enough people saying it, maybe you would consider it. Like I said, his his response the last time I asked him about that was, "I would never say never because that's how you get yourself in trouble, pigeonholing yourself in." He said, "But no, that's not something he really would consider doing." So, uh, get in his ear and and let people let him know what you think. If enough people do it, who knows? Crazier things have happened, right? Right. Thanks, right. Bob. Thank you, Linda. I appreciate the call. Uh, God bless. Yeah, Pete's a great guy, and Pete would be a great candidate, I think, for office. And uh, But what I said about name recognition is huge. Um, there has been talk that Warren Davidson, who is a very, very well-regarded uh, congressman in southern Ohio, um, would, would want to run. I like him. I've had him on. He's he's conservative. He's... he's um, introspective he is a deep thinker he is a guy who i think strikes every chord right but nobody knows who he is up here you know they know him in cincinnati they know him down in dayton they don't know him here they probably don't know him in toledo they probably don't know him in youngstown the biggest you know and again i kind of just do that that little run up i-71 uh you know between cincinnati columbus and and cleveland and then go east and west to toledo and youngstown the biggest cities in the in the state um, name recognition matters. Sherrod Brown is known all across the state. He's served three terms. He's going to be running for a fourth. You need somebody who knows everything about you to convince all Republicans and some moderates to turn away from Sherrod Brown. It will take moderates to come, you know, to, to that side. Um, Pete is well known by Fox viewers because he's on Tucker. Pete is well known by radio listeners because he's here. Pete is well-known by people who read National Review because he writes columns for them. But as a political candidate, he would be a virtual unknown to the people in those other parts of the state. 
And so that's a tough thing. And that's going to be something that Bernie Moreno is going to have to deal with. Matt Dolan, to a lesser extent, because he's already a state senator, so he's in office. But if you're an outsider and a first-timer, and you know, I know Bernie ran in the primary, which we discussed it this morning, uh, in uh, the first uh, Senate race, the one to replace Rob Portman. But if you're a first-timer you know, getting the nomination, for example, you'd have to go statewide and convince people that you are better than Sherrod Brown. And while that wouldn't be difficult to do for you and me, um, obviously, uh, because Sherrod Brown is awful. For those who don't know, they don't know. And it will take a, it would take a hell of a sales pitch, I think, to do that. So I appreciate the sentiment. Well said. I would love to see Peter do that too. It's 10, uh, 1120. Rather, we'll take a time out here. I got time for more phone calls. And I want to share something else with you that you need to know, particularly in, um, response to the terrible situation in Akron, the terrible situation that happened in Kansas City, and the terrible situation that happened in upstate New York. I'm going to tie them all together with something that you're going to want to hear, and you're going to need to hear right after this on Always Right Radio. So I want to tie together some of the stories that we were talking about this morning and to bring some perspective to them, because as Peter pointed out, everything that the left touches, they turn into race. Virtually everything that they touch, whether it be the Jalen Walker situation in which race had nothing to do with it, because quite obviously, if the police are being shot at by anybody, you don't even know, particularly if they're wearing a ski mask, they can't even tell, but if they're being shot at by anybody that they're trying to pull over for a traffic stop, um, if they end up in a situation where that individual is not giving himself up, putting his hands in the air, getting on the ground, if they're reaching for their waistband to potentially shoot again, they're shooting. It doesn't matter who you are. So there's that story. Uh, they're playing the race card in. The Reverend Green, as I played, is, uh, is playing the race card as well. And then there's the story out of Kansas City. And I didn't play this yet, but I want to. The mayor of Kansas City, Mayor um, uh, Lucas, uh, Mayor uh, Quinton Lucas in Kansas City, was asked on CNN about the shooting of Ralph Yarl. He's the 16-year-old black youth who was uh, going to um, uh, pick up his two younger twin brothers from a friend's house, but he didn't know which house. He went to the wrong door, and he rang the doorbell twice, then got shot through the door by an 85-year-old man who apparently had no earthly idea who it was, uh, obviously, and uh, this man was white. So the race card was played, um, and here's an example of it, again, by the mayor of Kansas City. I won't uh, assign racial bias to the police without further discussion and investigation, and I, I think that we did have officers, white officers for what it's worth, who did a lot of hard work to get this case filed to the prosecutor, having charges filed shortly thereafter. That being said, to pretend that race is not a part of this whole situation would be to have your head in the sand. This boy was shot because he was existing while black, and he knocked on the door of someone who clearly, clearly fears black people, black boys, black children. So that's what the mayor of Kansas City said. This boy was shot because he was existing while black. Now, this, of course, does nothing to address the upstate New York situation in which the 20-year-old white girl was killed in an almost identical situation, except she didn't even reach the door. She and her friends turned into the wrong driveway. And in the wrong driveway, she was shot and killed. She's a 20-year-old white girl. Now, why are these things being brought up? Here's why they're being brought up. 
because the narrative that's being advanced by the media over the last 48 to 72 hours since these situations all played out is that white racism is why black people are getting killed and white people are a, a direct threat either as cops or as civilians to black people. They're black, they're existing while black, walking while black, and they can just be killed by white people. That's the narrative that's being pushed. Ben Shapiro yesterday took to social media to give you stats that I've given you before. But since he went ahead and assembled them this time, I'll go ahead and read them to you in his writing. It's time to play once again the vile media game in which a statistically rare white-on-black racial crime is treated as emblematic of the entire racial situation in the U.S. That's why Joe Biden is inviting the Yarl family to the White House. The narrative is a blatant lie. The vast majority, writes Ben Shapiro, of racial crime in the United States is intraracial. That means it's done within your own race. More, you know, 85% of white people who are attacked or, or shot are, are shot by other white people. 90% of black people who are shot or attacked are shot by other black people. So he's right. But when it does come to interracial homicide, for example, the chances that a white person getting killed by a black person is far higher than a black person being killed by a white person. As evidence of this, we turn to things that cannot lie. Numbers, the statistics, the statistics from the Bureau of Justice. This is United States Federal Government Bureau of Justice statistics. As Ben writes, quote, The media routinely refuses to report even the race of suspects if the suspect is black and the victim is white. That's factual and easily provable. Ignoring crime because the suspect is black, by the way, actually promotes crime against black people, since, as stated, most crime is intraracial. But here are the numbers from the BJS, Bureau of Justice Statistics. In the most recent year for which the numbers are available, in 2019, there were 562,550 violent interracial black-white incidents. Of the 562,550 incidents between blacks and whites, 472,570 of them were black on white crimes. That's 84% if you're scoring at home. 84% of the interracial violent crime in America is committed by blacks against whites. Just 16% committed by whites against blacks. And what should make those numbers stand out even more to you and be more alarming and more disturbing based on the way the media presents all of this as if somehow black people are targeted in America and not white people is that black people account for only 13% of the population. White people account for 60% of the population. 13% of the population is black, and yet 84% of black-white violent crime is black on white, not white on black. Those are the statistics. They are irrefutable. And so what the the media is telling you now about Kansas City, what about uh, Akron, Ohio, or about any of the other places in which there is violence being taking place between blacks and whites, It is very, very clear who the perpetrators are and who the victims are. Do not let the media twist it. We'll be back. 
This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. It's 1138, Always Right Radio. Got time for a couple more phone calls at 216-901-0945, I want to ask about um, the uh, reverend that I spoke of last segment <clears throat> and that I spoke of with Peter Kersenow. How it is and why it is that this man is walking free right now instead of being arraigned for trying to incite violence in, uh, uh, in Akron. Um, this was at the Monday press conference put together by all of those gathered screaming justice for Jalen, Justin for Jalen Walker down in Akron. Uh, the reprehensible, uh, and by the way, I was trying to find it again. I think it's the LinkedIn page for the Jalen Walker family attorney, Bobby DiCello, the uh, scumbag who uh, demonized and mocked police officers in his uh, remarks after they decided not to indict, the grand jury decided not to indict any of the police officers involved in Jalen Walker shooting. Yeah, it's uh, it's hilarious. His LinkedIn page describing who he is and what he does at his law firm. He, by the way, used to be a, a, a prosecuting attorney in the city of Cleveland. Uh, he was a prosecutor under Michael Malley. He's now in private practice, and his, his bio page talks about his advocacy, his legal advocacy for all of those who are the downtrodden and the victims of corrupt police. It's right there that he thinks police are corrupt. And the best part about it is, is right next to his name, he has his pronouns. Got to let everybody know that he's a he, him. Because anybody might think that Bobby DiCello is something else. Well, Bobby DiCello uh, was not the only one who said some outlandish things at this press conference. Reverend Ray Green was one of those invited to speak as well on behalf of the Jalen Walker family. After Jalen Walker was killed in what was clearly a suicide-by-cop situation by several police officers, this is what Reverend Ray Green had to say. In Akron, Ohio, there would be no peace in Summit County. There would be no peace in the state of Ohio. There would be no peace in America until black men are able to walk down the street without being gunned down. Jalen Walker was not walking down the street and being gunned down. Until black men are able to walk, wake up and walk outside without the fear of being murdered by state-sanctioned violence. Jalen Walker was not walking outside and murdered by state-sanctioned violence. We will not rest. I am not here to condone violence. But I am saying that you have... I am not here to condone violence, but I am about to condone and promote and incite violence. ...for right to be righteously indignant from these results today. Anger is an emotion that is felt when a wrong, when a wrong is done to you. And this wrong is done to us too many times. Too many times. Please, cite your statistics. Tell us how many times... Tell us how many times police officers shoot people who fire guns at them and then proclaim that to be uh, some sort of murder by state-sponsored violence. Tell me how many times that happens. Tell me how many times you want cops to be shot at and not shoot to defend themselves. Tell me how many times, Reverend. To the city of Akron, board up everything that you want to do, but we are coming. Board up. Everything that you want to do, but we are coming. Now, we know what it means when shops and businesses have to board up their windows um, in inner cities because violent protesters turned rioters smash windows, vandalize, destroy, steal, set, a, set ablaze, and more. 
He's saying, better board it up because we are coming. That's a direct threat and a direct uh, incitement of violence. To my friends, to my brothers, to black men, we need you. To the gang members in the city of Akron, we need you. Wait, what? You better board up everything you want to board up because we are coming. To black men and gang members, we need you. Wait, what? I want to know how this man is walking free right now and not being arrested and not having been in the last 72 hours since this took place, uh, arraigned on charges of inciting violence. He's literally calling for it. And the worst part about it is he's calling for it for no good reason other than this is his life. There are far too many of people like this who have the ear of the black community who just foster and foment hatred for authority, for police, for white people. They literally live for it. It's his just it's his job rather. Screaming justice for Jalen, justice for police officers were shot at. I want to know. I want to know. What is Reverend Ray Green down in Akron? saying at the Jalen Walker press conference after the refusal to indict the officers. What is he saying if one of the officers had been hit? What is he saying if one of the officers had been killed? Jalen Walker, it's on video, turned and shot at the police that were chasing him. What if that shot found its mark? What if that shot went through a windshield and killed a police officer? What if that shot wounded a police officer? Would it be any more? Whoa, whoa. Would it be any more or less justifiable for the police officers then to shoot him when he reached to his waistband for round number two? It doesn't matter. He's black and he was shot by police, therefore it's racially motivated, therefore systemic racism by police all across America is real. And we get to fight back. Let's go. I need black men, black brothers, I need gang members. Board up all you want, but we are coming, he said. That man should be arrested for inciting violence, and the city of Akron needs to make sure they don't pay one nickel to the family because the family doesn't deserve it. That's all the time we have. Thanks to my guests. Thanks to my team. Thanks to you for listening. Be well, be safe. Stay free if you can. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.